Welcome to Rewind, the book club where we reread old YA books and tell you our unfiltered opinions with lots of wine involved. We're your hosts. I'm Sarah Jones Dittmeyer. And I'm Emily Cavender. This is episode 10, and we are going over a series of unfortunate events, five and six. Can you believe that we're already on episode 10? Uh, It's amazing. (laughs) It's crazy. Episode 10, we've read one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 13 books and five movies in 10 episodes. (laughs) That's like a lot. I mean, I feel like I don't get book, get through books like super quick. So that's like a lot for me. Yeah. I, I used to read a lot more books, um, in my youth. Um, so it's been really nice to like actually pick up books again. Um, but I'm not reading anything else because, um, part of my, the way my brain functions is I cannot like be in the middle of a series and like also read something else. So like I told myself, I would, I would read some books between Twilight and series of unfortunate events. I read um, one. Yeah. Just see, one I have the opposite problem where I have three different books that I'm in the middle of. And like, I, it's just hard because it's like, I had, I was reading last year, I was reading clan lands, which for those of you who don't know is a book by Sam Hewen and Graham McTavish from outlander. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then like, I'm like halfway through and then the new soul bound book by Haley Turner comes out. So I have to like, then go read that, but then I get busy and then I I'm still like halfway through it slash. Like I'm taking my time with that because I don't want it to be over. Cause it's the last book in the series. I no. have purchased all of those books. Have I started reading them yet? No, <laughs> I will. You'll fly um, through them once you start. They're not super long. I, and I know I'm going to really love them because gay fantasy those are like some of my favorite things so I know once I like dedicate some time to it I'm just gonna like knock them all out so fast um (laughs) and you keep telling me that I'm gonna love them so I know I'm like really excited to read them but I'm one of those classic people that like keeps buying more books even though I already own so many that I haven't read like if if we're not even including all the books that I've already purchased for the podcast, like not even counting those. If we're looking at my bookshelf of all my other books, I've probably only read a third of them, maybe even a quarter of them because I keep getting great book recommendations from my friends and I keep buying books. But anyway, so what are we drinking? Um, I've definitely drank this before. This is my go-to Kroger wine. It's not the cheapest, but it's not the most expensive. It's like a $16 bottle, you know? That's, it's like yeah, nice, that's a, yeah, that's, that's, a, nice. that's a decent amount. That's a decent mm-hmm. priced bottle of wine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's the French Cote de Roses or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a really pretty wine bottle of rosé where the bottom is a rose. It's a gorgeous bottle. I also really love it because the cork is glass. So you can like reseal it um, and it's like a twist off, um, but it's like fancy feeling. So nice. that's what I'm drinking. I don't know if I've drank this one on the podcast before. It It's a Spanish red. No one's surprised at this point, um, but I don't really know if it has a name because the bottle just has a giant E on it and like the colors of like the Spanish flag. And that's all it says. It doesn't even say what grape it's made out of, but it's pretty good. It just has an E on it. <laughs> yeah, it just, yeah, it just has. It's just like it's like a white oval, but like on this, like on its side, not up and down. And then it just has a big E in the middle of it. Emily, clearly. <laughs> okay, I feel like these books we kind of like took a step up from the previous series of unfortunate events books. The first four felt a lot more juvenile. Even some of the bad didn't feel as bad. Some of the circumstances felt a lot sillier. Um, 
but this, these two books, I feel like are like next level shit starting to get real. There's also some like really cool foreshadowing in these books Mm -hmm. talking about some important things. Um, Some mysteries have been laid out for us. We have friends for the first time, which is very God. (laughs) God, They needed it. Even if they only had them for like 10 days. Um, It's been, it's, I feel like we're in a different series now. Like things are getting real, um, which is very exciting. Um, You know, I feel like six books that that's minimum six years, probably longer. Um, So, you know, the books are evolving with the audience here. When the, when the fan base grows up, your content can kind of grow up with it. And I think we definitely saw that in these books. I would agree. I would definitely agree. Um, it's not that the other books didn't feel like dangerous. Cause obviously there is a lot of danger in those. Yeah. Like there um, are deaths. <laughs> yeah. Bad and stuff. like the whole, you know, in the wide window, the whole house like goes careening into the lake, mm-hmm. um, you know, but there the danger felt more immediate, I guess, in, in these two books for at least the physical danger part. Yeah. I feel like it was, um, it was scarier. There were more twists and turns than you were expecting, especially in Airsats Elevator. Um, yeah. Like I feel like the previous books and five, even, even a little bit fell into that pattern where it's like new guardian things aren't great. Here's Olaf in disguise. I wonder what his plan is. Here's his plan. And then he leaves. Yeah. Six very much deviates from that formula um, with like the reveal of, of another bad guy that we didn't know. Like there's so much going on here, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, we should start by talking about Austere Academy. Austere? Austere? Yeah, I, th- I say Austere Academy. I say Austere, I think. And then as soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, <laughs> yeah, I think it's austere. Yeah. Um, so one of the lines that stood out to me that I just, you know, again, I feel like captures this this whole series is on page five, and it's quote, a jar of mustard also meant well and would probably do a better job at keeping the children safe. Unquote. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Which is like so true. I mean, for both of these books, honestly, I mean, we know Mr. Poe sucks, but I just, all of the adults are just like the worst. So like in Austere Academy, obviously the Baudelaire's end up at a boarding school where there are no weekends and they take like one class with one teacher. There are no state standards. No. (laughs) Like, um, yeah. Um, and they're in two like entirely different, like, like Klaus is just learning about measurements and Violet is just learning about like stories from this teacher's life, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, and this school has a bunch of really bizarre rules. Mm -hmm. So some of them include no silverware. If you end up in the administration building. Yeah, which is absurd that students aren't allowed in the administration building. Like, if you need to see the administration, you have to eat lunch without any silverware. Like, yep. yes. Uh, if you're late for class, your hands get tied behind your back for meals. Mm-hmm. If you're late for the meal, they take away your cups. And if you don't sit through Vice Principal Nero's recital his six hour recital every night Six hour recital you have to buy him a bag of candy um i don't fully understand the schedule at this school um Uh because if we think of like a typical school day you know that's like from like 7 30 to 2 right you know i'm assuming they have dinner and then Uh if the if the recital starts at like four And that's like early for like to have dinner before that. Like your day doesn't end until 10. And then when do you do like assignments and stuff? Well, they don't actually talk about homework ever. So maybe they don't get any. Maybe. Um, I know I have a question here. Maybe I didn't write it down, but I know I, I know I thought about it. Oh yes, here it is. 
Um, so they're literally learning like nothing in this school. Um, who sends their children here? Yeah, I was thinking about that when I was reading these, this book. Um, it reminds me very much of like Miserable Mill, where I'm like, who works in this place where you get paid with coupons? Like, it's horrible. And you get gum for lunch. I feel like it all kind of goes back to like, we don't know what this universe is. Although in Aerosmith's elevator, we did confirm it's Earth. They did reference actual places on Earth. Um, so, but I'm just like, who would have worked there? Who sends their children to this school? Like the only nice thing about it is the dormitories, but the bottle airs don't get to live in the dormitory. They get to live in the orphan shack with crabs and toxic mold. (laughs) (laughs) Which, okay. So if the Baudelaire's took over the orphan shack, does that mean Duncan and Isadora, which who we'll talk about in just a second, did they get upgraded to like a real room? Yeah. So they mentioned that they only lived in the shack for three semesters. Um, which before is they too were, long. Yeah, before they were able to like get into the main dorms. I don't know how they did that because they don't have um, guardians to our knowledge. And like, once again, when they worked in the mill, the owner of the mill was the guardian. And now they go to school and the vice principal's the guardian, I guess. Like, Also, where was the principal? That was, was my he? next question. He was not We mentioned. only hear about the vice principal and we never hear about the principal who is the principal at this school. Um, who knows? So one of the big things in this book is that the Baudelaire's finally get a couple of friends, Duncan yes. and Isadora, who are also orphans and have a giant fortune that they can't access quite yet. And lost their um, family in a fire. Yes. And I think this was so sweet because I think it shows how important friends are during really tough times mm-hmm. and how, you know, when you're at like a new school, like even just like the people that are like nice to you can make like a really big difference and like you automatically become friends. And I think Duncan and Isadora are just the absolute sweetest. They're sweet beans. I really loved them. Um, I also loved that we got like a very distinct interest for them, just like we have for Violet and Klaus and Sunny. Duncan is a reporter and Isadora is gonna is a poet. And I love that like kind of everything, all of their conversations kind of tie back to those interests, just like we get with the Baudelaire. So um, yeah, I really loved them. I loved how like they became friends so quickly. They are the only people thus far who have ever believed them about Count Olaf, which kind of ties back into the whole, why are all the adults useless in this universe? Like only other children believed them, Um, but they were like willing not only to believe them and listen to them, but like actively participate, keep an eye out for them, put themselves at risk to their own detriment by the end of this book um, to take care of their friends. And it reminds me of, a quote from my favorite TV show, The Magicians. Um, Elliot, my favorite character says, I bond fast. And that's the same with these kids. Like they went from like meeting to instant best friends. We even got a hint of maybe a love interest for sweet 14 year old Violet blushing over Duncan. He's not my boyfriend. Um, Yeah. So like seeing them finally being able to count on someone outside of just the three of them was just like, it's what this series has been needing. Like there's a lot of unfortunate events here, but we finally got something like really pure out of it. Yes. At least until, at least until the end. Um, at least until I get kidnapped. <laughs> um, we'll get to that. Um, so Olaf's disguise in this book is that he shows up wearing a sweatsuit and a turban. Um, Very Professor Quirrell of him. (laughs) (laughs) Like, seems not great, but, like, wouldn't put it past Olaf to just, like, Mm -hmm. appropriate whatever for a disguise. Mm -hmm. Um, Just kind of goes along with him being, like, a terrible person. Um, But we also, like, in this book get extra details um, sort of outside of the Baudelaire's immediate storyline. Mrs. Bass, we learn, eventually was arrested for bank robbery. 
Yes. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh my God. And we get more of the story um, that Lemony Snicket spoke to Beatrice and was about to say like Count Olaf is and then gets cut off and we never find out. And this is sort of the moment where the world gets a little bit bigger um, mm-hmm. where, you know, Duncan and Isadora have found out something, um, but we don't get to know what it is because the notebooks are stolen before Count Olaf drives away at the end. Um, and it kind of, you know, the mystery of VFD begins here mm-hmm. and carries over into um, book six and onward. Mm-hmm. I love that you brought up Beatrice. I like wrote down that I wanted us to talk about her because I don't think we've talked about her yet. Um, she wasn't until- really, yeah, she wasn't really mentioned besides the dedication before. Yeah, she was book. like every dedication is about her and how she's dead. I think he maybe has mentioned her like very briefly in like a sentence or two up until yeah. now. Um, and so like this was the first time she like um, she became a character, you know, not just someone in the author's world but in this world as well. And then we even found even more information out about her in Airshots Elevator, which we'll talk about later. Um, but yeah, this whole time I kept reading the um, dedications and being like, oh, there's Beatrice again. Or he'd like, her name would get thrown out. And, and in this one, he kept talking about a triptych that he has of, um, of things about Beatrice in his life and he sees them and it just makes him weep. So we know there's something really sad there. Uh, and we're finally kind of getting a little bit more information about this Beatrice mystery as well. Um, also VFD you brought up. So I read most of these when I was a child. I know I didn't finish them. I think I got close. I think I stopped at like 11. Um, there's so much about these. I don't remember. And I remember when they said VFD, I was like, Oh yeah. Like this becomes the mystery over the next couple books. And they were like looking up potential acronyms for what VFD is. And I don't really, I don't remember what it is. So don't spoil things for me. Um, So I was like writing down notes as I went that then like would get revealed, you know? So I was like, Ooh, I remembered these quagmire characters. They come back. Like they're not just in this book. And then I read six and I was like, ah, there they are again. Um, And I'm pretty sure their parents are connected to the Baudelaire parents somehow. And I think they're tied up in VFD somehow. Um, So it's like kind of exciting for me because like with Twilight, I knew everything. I read them a million times. But with this series, it's like new for me all over again. There was very little that I actually remembered coming in. So um, yeah, I... I'm really excited about this VFD mystery over the next couple books and, you know, trying to figure out the, the mystery here. So, cause it has to be more than very fancy doilies. Yeah. It's definitely not the fancy doilies. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things, the, one of the last things I want to talk about for book five um, is that obviously we know the connection between Nero and playing the violin. Um, I you know, literally was about to bring that up. <laughs> Um, the phrase, you know, Nero fiddled while Rome burned. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to look it up because me too. I, yeah, I wanted, I, I was like, there has to be maybe something a little bit more here that we could discover. Um, so, you know, Nero, not that great of a guy, but what I thought Terrible. was cool was that he was the fifth emperor of Rome. And this is the fifth book in the series. Oh, I didn't notice which, that. Yeah. Um, and most contemporary sources describe him as tyrannical, self-indulgent, self-indulgent and debauched. Mm-hmm. He had his mother murdered and possibly his first wife. So he could marry somebody else. And when it comes to, um, him fiddling while Rome burned, there's a lot of differing opinions on it. There's no real mm-hmm. proof that he's, there's no evidence. It. Um, So this sentence from uh, Wikipedia says, um, some Romans thought the fire was an accident. The merchant shops where it probably started were timber framed. They sold flammable goods and the outer seating stands on the circus were timber built. Others claimed that it was arson committed on Nero's behalf. Um, So this was just some fun facts about Nero that I thought, you know, gave us a little bit more of a perspective on this vice principal. I'm excited because I also did some research and I 
there's one piece of information that I found that you didn't cover. Um, so the fiddle didn't exist when Nero was the emperor. Um, so this kind of like phrase about how he played the fiddle as Rome burned, um, there was a similar instrument that I can't, couldn't even begin to pronounce if I tried, that was kind of like a predate to the fiddle, which is, you know, essentially a violin. So um, it's kind of like, in, in modern times, it's kind of like um, Marie Antoinette and Let Them Eat Cake, like that didn't actually happen, but it's like very much become like a part of like, um, almost like the pop culture version of Nero. Um, but yeah, so part of my notes for these, and I've we've talked about it in our past episodes as well, is I love the names and how the names like mean something. So like the fact that this insane vice principal who's obsessed with himself and he thinks he's a genius is named Nero after this insane emperor. The other one that I thought was really cool is Quagmire, their last name. Um, I looked at the definition because I couldn't remember exactly what it was. Um, it's a situation from which extrication is very difficult. So like a sticky situation, like hairy situations, et cetera. Like that's their last name. And they definitely get into a quagmire in the end of this book and in book six. Um, and there's some fun name things again um, in Airsets Elevator that we'll talk about when we get there. But um, yeah, I love the double meanings here. Like the names always have some like subtle nod to something else. So moving on to book six, um, clearly your favorite in the series. (laughs) Yeah. As you remember two episodes back where I explained how a significant portion of my mental illness strives from this book (laughs) and reading it first. And because of that one teacher, I'll never forgive you, Mrs. Woods, who told me (laughs) that I could read them out of order. Um, I also really love, I picked it because there were two E's like Emily. So um, yeah. the fun thing here though, I did not remember what the word air sats meant. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and this one, I did not remember a lot of it. The only thing I remembered about this book is that they end up stuck in an elevator shaft by the end and Sunny uses her teeth to climb out. That's all I remembered here. So <laughs> um, yeah, getting to relearn that definition, air stats meaning like a fake something pretending to be something else. Um, that was like a little, a little fun thing here. Yeah. There were certain things that I also didn't remember. Obviously I remembered the elevator shaft. I remembered cafe salmonella, which is like my favorite pun in the entire world. And I, it's, I'm telling you, this is what formed my sense of humor. I think it's yep. fucking hilarious. Yeah. Cafe um, salmonella is on my list of funny names. Also Mount so Frott. We learned that um, Mr. Squalor, the rich man whose last name is squalor. Um, we learned that he was friends with the Baudelaire's mother. And one time they had, they, um, hiked on Mount Frott, which was known for having very dangerous animals. So there's <laughs> just like, they, they mentioned Mount Frott one time they mentioned cafe salmonella like twice. Um, but there's just like so much thought put in be- behind these little pieces, which I just love. And I'm still laughing over the fact that their last name is Squalor and they're like (laughs) the richest part of town, the sixth most important wealth management person in the city. So, yeah. Um, Yeah. And I also, the other thing I definitely remembered from this book were the aqueous martinis. Oh my God. I laughed so hard when I got to that part. So good. It's just so good. And Um, parsley soda. That's just dumb. (laughs) What I loved about this book is that like, I loved the the aspect of the things being in and the things being out, which mm-hmm. to me seemed like a, like a commentary on how ridiculous like popular trends are and how they can mm-hmm. just like change for no reason, you know, without making much sense. And I, and I love that the whole reason that they didn't end up with the squalors earlier was because orphans were out yeah, but now orphans are in and all of her friends are going to be so jealous that she has three of her very own orphans. Yeah, um, I, I don't think I could live in a world where elevators were out, especially if I don't oh my God. however many floors it actually ends up being 48 66. or 84, 66. 66, which is the average of 48, 84. I can't imagine, like I have looked at, been like apartment hunting in the past and if it is, on the second floor with no elevator, I can do that. If it's on the third, nope, moving on to the next one. I will not live without an elevator. I need one flight of stairs maximum <laughs> to go to my place of um, living. Um, the thought of going up 66 flights of stairs just because someone said it was cool. Fuck being cool. I'll never be cool again. Give me the damn elevator. 
Yeah. Um, so, okay. One of the, there, I mean, so much happens in this, right? Um, but basically, like, we find the quagmires at the end of this elevator shaft, this, like, unused yeah. elevator shaft, and they're locked up at the bottom of this, of this place. I'm going to ask a question that we came up when it came to Twilight. Um, this is the second time that Duncan has been like, Hey, I really need to tell you about this really important thing. Oh my God. And and Violet's been like, no, not now. Um, and it's, is this a plot device? Cause this time it felt like a plot device in book five. Mm -hmm. It didn't really, it felt like, okay, the notebooks were dropped and then Klaus and Olaf reached for them and Olaf got there first. Okay. I can totally buy that. I would not have cut Duncan off after already not getting information from him in the previous book. This kind of felt like a plot device to push off more information until Mm -hmm. later. It was definitely a plot device. Um, It annoyed me in Austere Academy because they tried to talk about it. Like they, they said, okay, but before we split up tonight, you should know we did some research and we found something very concerning in Count Olaf's history. So like we should talk about this and they were like we don't have time to talk you have to go run our laps all night for us and like that alone that's a red flag i'm sorry if there's a super villain who's been chasing after me and someone says they found out some information like i need you to stop everything and tell me and so then as the quagmires are getting kidnapped and they're just screaming bfd bfd it's in the notebooks and then olaf grabbed the notebooks and they got away like that would drive me crazy. Oh, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the end of um, Half-Blood Prince when we get the locket from R.A.B. And we're like, who's R.A.B.? And then they become obsessed with trying to figure it out. Like the fact that they got separated, they're worried about their friends and they know their friends know something important. They're reunited. And then they again are trying to tell them we really need to talk about BFD just in case we get separated again. And they were like, shh, shh, shh. We can talk about this later. No, you can't. No, Haven't you, you learned by can't. now? <laughs> yeah. Like nothing ever goes right for you, sweetheart. Like why didn't you say you're right? Let's talk about this right now and then we'll rescue you. Yeah. But it's yeah. not like Olaf was right there. They were alone. Yeah. This time it definitely felt like out of character for Violet to be like, I'll ignore this again. They um, could have even just ripped the pages out of their notebooks and been like, take these just in case we get separated. Yeah, I, yes, I, exactly. Like Violet and Klaus and Sunny are very smart kids. I don't think that they would have actually in that moment been like, nope, don't worry, we'll be back. You'll, and you'll be here when we get back. Um, so they, after making this dreadful decision, they climb back up the elevator shaft, which I took three hours uh-huh. for them to do. Um, Three hours to climb down, three hours to climb back up. So we're already at at least six hours. Yeah. And yeah, I'm so 12 hours in total Mm -hmm. because Because they they go back down again. So they take some fire tools and they put them in the oven to get them super, super, super hot, right? Mm -hmm. They're like white hot metal. And my question was, and I tried to Google it to find an answer, but I couldn't really find one. Um, how long does white hot metal stay that hot? Like three hours seems like a lot. Ridiculous. Honestly, white hot metal would fade to like a red orangey hot metal. I feel like fairly quickly from that point, it would probably take a while for it to cool down entirely. But like in order to use that to weld something, like when you see people do that, at least in TV and movies, they'll pull out of the fire and immediately use it. You know, like, and that's not even taking into consideration the fact that they had to climb down a rope one-handed with a white hot fire poker, whatever stick it was. What I feel like like they should have done was like call down to Duncan and Isadora. I mean, obviously they wouldn't know they weren't there anymore, but been uh like, hey, stand back and just like thrown the tools and the oven mitts down the shaft um, because it would be down there in seconds and still hot enough. Like Duncan and Isadora could like, pick them up and get themselves yeah. out like Violet they're herself like, doesn't have to do it they're in a cage so like it's not like it's gonna land on them 
Right. And then the rope is already there and they can climb back up. (laughs) Yes. There are so many ways around this. My other thought also was like, they're using, they have oven mitts on their hands to hold these hot pieces of metal. My thought was, why can't you just slide down the rope then? Cause obviously if it's in your normal hand, it would like rip through your skin. But if you've got a nice thick oven mitt, you could probably slide down in like bursts to get down fairly quickly as well. Yeah. There were so many ways around this, but instead there were, I mean, like they could have, you're telling me Violet couldn't have like come up with like a parachute using like sheets mm. and something like that. Genius. Like, like to get down like a little bit more safely and like quickly. Come on now. Yeah. Or they could have like jumped while holding the rope and like fastened some kind of harness and then like rappel down, you know, yeah. all three of them didn't have to climb down. Only one person, if they were going to climb, if they threw out the idea of just throwing down the, the metal, only one of them had to go down. So yeah, like jump with a parachute, repel the rest of the way, break them out. You're free. Yeah. They wasted so much time here. <laughs> and also like just the thought of climbing down a rope for three hours, climbing down doesn't sound as horrible, but back up yeah. and then back down and then back up again. And then they did have to climb halfway back down. Yeah. I it, no. it's exhausting. Um no. I don't like I I'm shocked that none of them like had muscle failure and just like fell from mm-hmm. from the rope. And they didn't um, mention it being tiring. They just talked about how scary it was in the dark. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, their legs have gotten really strong from running all those laps and going up and down the stairs, but this is purely your arms. Yeah. I could never. <laughs> yeah. Um Speaking of Beatrice again, um, we find yes. out that Esme is evil. That I did not remember. And so like when I got to that point, I was like, I felt so betrayed. <laughs> I'm like, how could you do this? I mean, obviously she was the worst. And every time she started whining about things being in and out, it would like give me anxiety the more she would talk about it. And then she would just like cut them off and argue. And Jerome would just give up. Like that was just like making me anxious as I was reading. But like her being a villain, being on Olaf's side, that that hurt me. That hurt my heart a little bit. Yeah. Well, it seems like she had a reason because she says, I want to steal from you the way Beatrice stole from me. Yes. What do you think this means? I feel like what we need to do is have like a Beatrice tracker with all the information that we know about her. Um, Because we don't know a whole lot so far. There was something about how Lemony was never actually with her. He couldn't have her. She was with someone else. Um, he tried that she was involved with the Olaf situation in some way and that she stole something from Esme. So, oh, and there, it wasn't just that he couldn't be with her, but he couldn't like talk to her. I think it was referenced at one point. Yeah, I think we need to keep a list here of the the, the clues we have about Beatrice and who the she Beatrice is. Beatrice check-in going a forward. Beatrice check-in, yeah. Part of me is like, is she the Baudelaire's mother? Who knows? Um, we don't know their first names. Um, I know but, there uh, was there was a moment where I thought the same thing too. Um, from how I forget what the sentence was, but from how it was phrased, I was like, "Wait a second. I'm gonna update our our, our notes that we keep together, where we can <laughs> uh, keep all of our Beatrice clues." The other thing I wanted to talk about was the economics of this world because. The squalors live in a penthouse with like a bajillion rooms. 71 and, bedrooms. <laughs> yeah. And yet at the auction, $300 is too high for Jerome to spend. <laughs> and Esme is someone who is so lit up by just a thousand dollars. It doesn't seem to make sense. Yeah. I feel like. I feel like we don't know where this is. We also don't know when this is. It's It almost could be like kind of dated, you know, like when our parents were young and things were so much cheaper, including housing. Um, it almost gives me that feel of things being dated. They only talk about landlines, not cell phones. Although this was coming out around, but kind of pre cell phones being super common, but 
but oh like and when they were at the Alcira Academy there was the super fancy computer that could prevent Olaf from getting in but they didn't talk about what that was you know so I feel like with this kind of like lack of technology and then again with this like money it, it feels dated very dated yeah but I still think like even if it's like early 2000s I still feel like for someone to own a penthouse like $300 being too high seems ridiculous. Yeah, it does. It very much does. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this could have taken place in like the 60s or 70s. Yeah. <laughs> Not the early 2000s. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Um, so, okay. So they, one of the things that I thought like sort of revealed the mystery a little early was the doorman saying, boss, the orphans are here because that seemed to to me was a reveal but then it wasn't in the text until a little while later yeah well i think they definitely were laying the groundwork for that earlier on um there was like a moment where they said like he was like looking at them with like a creepy smile and i was like oh he's obviously in the theater troupe like which one is he um him saying boss like should have been the reveal but they were like distracted and it wasn't really the reveal until he was in the car, the getaway car, you know? Yeah. Um, so then we go through the whole auction and Baudelaire's are bidding on very fancy doilies without knowing it. And I can't get over the fact that Lemony's ticket included an actual red herring. Mm-hmm. in this ending it's a literal <laughs> it's hilarious it's so it, good the literal red herring statue and was it, oh and so it's good. one of those things where like you know he doesn't call it a red herring until like sort of closer to the end he calls it like a big red fish and i feel like as mm-hmm. an adult you're like oh i i get it i get it and like children are gonna kind of like skip over that and I just thought it was so fucking funny because Klaus is like it was a red herring and they were like no that was the other one and I was like shut the fuck up that's yeah. so funny that that's another um one of those where I feel like even though this was like written for kids obviously there's adults reading this like parents and teachers like he did that he did that for the adults it's it's so brilliant it's so and it, I like and I just feel like I, I don't know like I don't I don't I don't know if I can say this is like my favorite out of like the entire series without having reread all of the rest of them. Favorite so far. This is my favorite so far. The jokes are just so good. They're like, they're, they're intelligent. They're hilarious. I I just think it's just so, it's just so good. Yeah. I really love like this one, even more so than the fifth one really was a step up really raising the stakes here. And like when we, when I talked earlier about how it was like breaking that formula, if this was any of the previous books, them being knocked down in the net and the, when Esme pushed them into the elevator and then they got trapped in the net and they had to figure out how to escape, like that would have been the climax. Like that would have been, they escaped and everything. And then Olaf gets away. But then instead of it ending there, we have another mystery revealed where they go down this like secret passageway that leads them to the ruins of their mansion. So mm-hmm. their mansion has been connected to this apartment building where one of Olaf's henchmen has been. So you're like, Hmm, wonder if that's how they set the fire all that time ago. Um, so like we get another reveal here and then we move into the climax where they show up at the auction and they're trying to save their friends. And like, there, there's just like this added layer here that we haven't had any of the books before this. So, um, yeah, yeah this one feels like it's growing up. Um, it was surprising where the previous books haven't really been surprising. Um, there were, yeah, there were some like twists and turns I wasn't expecting. And, um, yeah, I feel like I've definitely enjoyed this one the most so far. Yeah. It was great. Um, I have two more notes. Um, I'm saving Jerome for last, but mm-hmm. you're my um, instrument expert. Yes. Um, is, it, is it realistic to put the quagmires into an instrument case and tell the police it's just a tuba? Is there enough room? 
So the quagmires are what? 14 and 12-ish? Yeah. Yeah? I'm going to say yes. Um, They would be kind of cramped in there, but tuba cases are giant. Like they usually have wheels so that you can like hold one in and drag the other end on wheels. Um, If we're talking about a sousaphone, like a marching tuba, that's even bigger. So um, it depends on what kind of tuba we're talking about here. Um, a concert tuba would probably not, well, you could put one kid in there for sure. As, but if we are talking <laughs> about like a sousaphone here, I think we could fit them both in uncomfortably. Espe- well, and then especially if you remove, because you know, inside of a an instrument case, like for example, a clarinet case is a perfect box, like a rectangular box. But when you open it up, they have those like felt linings with that are like um, to fit your pieces perfectly with cushion. So if you take those out of inside of one of these cases, you get way more space. So yeah, if they were crafty about it, I think they could do it. And we know Olaf is crafty. It's so interesting. I was thinking about this because he's an idiot, but also so smart. And I don't know if it was part of the like disguise, but like in Oster Academy, he made some comment about nine times three is 29, but it's actually 27, you know, like there were like little moments where I'm like, you're so stupid, but so how are you coming up with these devious plots? But also they always fall apart in the end. So it's like his tracking skills and how he finds out where they are. Like that's where his true strength lies. I think. Yeah. It's almost like he's just so desperate and eager to like get their money that he's like, whatever, I'll just throw this costume together and it's fine. Like he's so kind of like creative and sort of like whatever with it, like anything goes. Um, I mean, he's a theater person. So this is, (laughs) this is true. Um, So the end of this book. Heartbreaking. Probably the saddest it's Mm -hmm. been. Um, My note literally says Jerome, what the fuck? Yeah. I feel like, so Monty was great since uncle Monty. This is the first adult that has not only like cared about them, but also like is invested in their interests and wants to provide for them. You know, like ultimately as may would shoot him down and he would, he's so non-confrontational, it wouldn't work. But like, you can tell that he truly cares about these kids throughout this whole book. And in the end, he's revealed that his wife is evil and he's like, all I want to do is keep you safe. I'm going to keep all three of you. And we're going to get far, far away from here where no one can ever hurt you again. And then when they say, we can't leave, we have to save our friends. He's like, but don't you want to stay with me? Like, I want to protect you. And they're like, yeah, we do, but we have to save our friends. And he's like, sorry, I'm a coward. I can't do that. So I'm going to have to tell Mr. Poe, you can't live with me anymore. And it just ripped my heart out because like, he was the first adult that like truly was prioritizing their safety. But when the kid said, no, what important, what's important here is our friends. He couldn't, he couldn't step up to the plate. And it just like was heartbreaking that they were losing that safety net. Cause they, this whole time they haven't truly been safe. They're constantly put in these horrible scenarios and like the, the, the one adult who wants to keep them safe can't do it. And won't do it because he's a fucking coward. They deserve better. <laughs> they do deserve better. And it sucks because I feel like they probably, you know, if the Quagmires weren't in the situation that they were in, I think the Baudelaire's would have like a pretty good life um, with Jerome. Like, you know, they'd at least like be cared for and safe and like would have access to you know, developing their interests and stuff like that. And yeah, it it sucks that Jerome won't even sort of try to help them figure out a solution as to like how to maintain his guardianship and also help them. Yeah, it was all or nothing. He sucks. That's just so shitty. I know. Our poor little babies. One thing I, one thing I was thinking about we're six books in, but their ages haven't changed at all. <laughs> These events are happening so quickly. Like Austere Academy was like two weeks. 
this one we didn't really get a good judge of how long it was but i'm pretty sure it was like a week or less if i had yeah to it's probably yeah it's probably like a week so like it's not only that all of these horrible things are happening to them but like there's no downtime it's like horrible 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 back to back to back <laughs> and they haven't had a chance to like breathe and mourn the things mm-hmm. that have been happening to them so um yeah we left off with the quagmire triplets once again being taken we saw them briefly we know they're still alive but um Olaf still has them in his clutches and they're escaping the city. We don't know what VFD is. We don't know how Beatrice ties into any of this. <laughs> um, but let's talk about the letter at the end, which I'm just now realizing I did not read the letter to the editor. Um, ooh, the paper is sopping wet. Mm-hmm. He's writing it from the place where the quagmire triplets were hidden. Then we have our very, very crazy instructions about where to find um, his manuscript. The vile village. Um, The tip of a harpoon. A chart of the migration paths of the VFD crows. And a copy of the official portrait of the Council of Elders. Hmm. Okay. So what I remember of this is that there's not an individual guardian. It's the whole village, right? They're mm-hmm. all his, they're all their guardians. Cause it takes a village and the, those birds, the VFD crows or whatever, they're all in a tree, I think. And they're creepy. <laughs> That's all I got. That's all I remember. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there's another detail, but I don't want to give anything away. Don't tell me. <laughs> and then after, so the next episode, we're talking about the Vile Village and the Hostile Hospital. I don't remember anything from that. <laughs> it, but it's giving me like American Horror Story vibes. <laughs> the um, OG American Horror Story. Yeah. <laughs> so true. Um yeah, that's all we had, right? That's all we have for books five and six. We're yeah, almost yeah. halfway through the series. There are 13 books. We're six books in. Yep. We have seven books to go. Oh, you know what I forgot? I forgot how we how we we're ending our series of unfortunate events episodes. Where would you rather live? Would you rather be a student at Proof Proofrock Preparatory School? Or would you rather live with these crazy rich people on um, Dark Dark Street, Dark Avenue, whatever? Dark Avenue, Dark Avenue, six six seven Dark Avenue. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I I'm living with the squalors. Even if I have to trek up those however many sixty six flights of stairs, I am not risking never getting silverware or getting my hands tied behind my back or sitting through six hours of terrible violin music every evening. Okay, hear me out. I'm going to pick the school. You're going to live in the orphan shack? No. <laughs> I'm going to go to the school, but I'm going to live in one of those fancy dormitories with unlimited, was it cantaloupe, melon, whatever it was, fresh fruit. Um, I feel like that school is so easy. It is impossible to break the rules if you don't have a super villain hunting, down, hunting you down. You just go to class where the classes are super easy. The the meals seemed delicious. They had a mountain of garlic bread, like, (laughs) and like, yes, as a musician, those concerts would be horrifying, but they all get to hang out during them. They said that he plays so loud. He doesn't notice when they're all talking. I'm just going to get some earplugs and read a book. Or they were able to sneak out super easily. So as long as I show up and I get my name checked off on attendance, I can dip. So (laughs) I will do anything to avoid the stairs. (laughs) I just don't want to hang out with Carmelita Spats. Listen, I could make my way into her clique. Um, what's so bad about being called a cake sniffer anyway? Cake is delicious smelling. Why is that a bad thing to be a cake sniffer? <sighs> yeah, I feel like Proofrock Prep wouldn't be that bad. I'm not an infant being forced to be a secretary. <laughs> I have very good reading comprehension and oral comprehension. So if I was in Violet's class, super easy. Be great. 
I can handle it. Get the delicious food. It'd be fine. It'd be totally fine. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So that means that the last thing we need to do is our last call. Oh, I forgot. How did I forget? I forgot how we did this last time. (laughs) Did we summarize both of them? Uh, Yeah, I think so. Like a general summary. Okay. Austin Academy. A school that should be shut down. (laughs) (laughs) The end. Okay. Mine's, Mine's like general for both of them. Clearly, the worst actor in the world tries and fails yet again to steal money from children. Dear God, someone call CPS. Really great. And I was thinking to myself, I should have done both. So my summary for Auster Academy was a school that should be shut down. I'll give I'll give an extra sentence yeah. for for <laughs> um, for Airsets uh, Elevator. A school that should be shut down, um, a building that violates ADA laws. Good. Love that. Um, cool. Well, um, I'm super excited to keep reading these because I don't remember what comes next. Um, I'm sure that things are just going to keep getting worse and worse for our poor orphans. Um, and maybe we'll get some answers about Beatrice and what the heck is a VFD? Who knows? Who knows? It could be a very fancy doily. It could be a very friendly dog. I don't know. A very. A very flamboyant dodo bird. Ooh. Um, (laughs) (laughs) A villainous fucking douchebag. (laughs) I'm sure we'll get one of those in the next book. All right. Well, we'll see you guys next time. First round's on us. <laughs> Rewind is written and produced by Sarah Jones Dittmeyer and Emily Cavender. It's edited by Sarah Jones Dittmeyer. Music is by Mark Schwedo. Find us on TikTok at Rewind Podcast or on Instagram at Rewind underscore podcast.